Morning, everybody. Am I coming through the speakers? Sounds like it. Good. Thank you for coming back. I <laughs> uh, appreciate it. Uh, this is our last class. It's kind of a... What's, what's next, Steve, after this week? Interlude? Do you have a topic? Uh, everybody Always. Everybody Always, the book. Uh, is it going to be four weeks? Gotcha. Okay, so um, so what's next? Uh, yeah, on Sunday, all the adult classes combined in what we call interlude, which is these four or five week kind of special, couple times a year, all together, little short topics. Um, everybody always uh, from the book, if you want to pre-read. Nobody has been on this row yet, but so it's like, yeah, just the largest man right there. Good. So if if this is your first time or even second time in this class, pre-apologies, because this is our last class, and it really is going to be just a summary of what we've um, talked about before. So there's just, I've kind of brought some slides back and to kind of remind us of some themes that we've covered in the class. and. That's going to be pretty fast on the assumption that we were all here faithfully every week, taking notes, you know, paying attention. But um, and then, and I'm skipping a little bit. But we, w- I will like about the last 15 minutes of class is unplanned. It's um, just open discussion with you, uh, dialogue with you, back and forth with each other. Uh, we had a pretty intense class last week, and there wasn't much time for discussion. Um, and and just not about just last week, but anything about prayer, anything you've tried during this class, any experience you've had from any time in your life on prayer, any questions you have, anything like that, just and just kind of 15 minutes of working without a net, open discussion. And if there's not much or there's very little, then we'll finish early. Um, but I did want to provide at least that block of time for you know, kind of digesting last week or anything that's come up during this class or, or, or your other thoughts on prayer and tradition and things like that. So um, let's open with uh, a prayer. God, we're just so grateful uh, for the faithfulness of people who love you and love your word. And uh, we're grateful that we are not alone in this journey with others and with your Holy Spirit, Father. Be with us today. Amen. So the tradition of the week. And action. Kentucky Derby hats. When we watched the Kentucky Derby yesterday, we timed it just right. We watched 10 minutes of it, <laughs> plus the 15 minutes. Do you guys know what happened yesterday? Yeah, first ever disqualification of a winner of the Kentucky Derby. Uh, and so a lot of drama. Um, no one could see the drama because they were sitting behind women wearing these hats. <laughs> So this is what's ironic to me is, you know, you bring binoculars to the Kentucky Derby because it's a racetrack. And, you know, my luck, I would be behind probably this lady. I would be behind this lady probably. Um, And then I was just, I just could not, you know, this, there's a lady in there somewhere uh, in that picture. And I think, you know, not to criticize style, but I think that's the hat you get when the um, cotton candy factory blows up. That's all I can tell is it's very, uh, very springy. But yeah, and I'm not from Kentucky, so this is probably a chair. Anyone from Kentucky? 
cherish Kentucky tradition. What, and you guys know what they drink at the Kentucky Derby? Mint juleps, right? We know that. Wimbledon, what's the food? Strawberries and cream, right? So this, this idea of traditions and where they came from and just kind of fun to think about that. And um, speak, Speaking of women and hats, and by the way, women, you, you tell me, when women have to dress up or wear hats or put on makeup, who are they trying to impress? Other women. Thank you. Everybody knows this. I just, uh, all right. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, to, so that, you know, they don't get devoured by the other women. So last week we talked, there was a thing we talked about a little bit last week about how hard it is to be a woman. And I said that and we made jokes. I made jokes that it was a man saying it. Um, you know, historically, it's been very hard to be a woman. Um, you know, we talked about the right to vote and, you know, running a marathon and uh, getting equal pay and things like that. And these are all things that, that men have never had to fight for or worry about. And it just reminded me of this just kind of lightning. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever, you've probably heard this quote, but um, Frank and Ernest, the good old cartoon strip, that's the Fred Astaire Finn Festival. And you guys can't explain this to people who are young. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were a famous dance pair uh, that danced in movies and uh, the woman is saying to the two men, sure, he was great, but don't forget that Ginger Rogers did everything he did backwards and in high heels. <laughs> kind of funny. Do you guys remember where that quote got made famous? Ann Richards, the governor of Texas, um, in one of the political conventions. Sort of, I can't remember the context, but yeah, just kind of a funny, funny joke. Um, um, so, just to review, so we're going to review a bunch of slides and things we've covered in the class and hopefully do that by the bottom of the hour, if not sooner, and then just open it up for your thoughts, your impressions of maybe things you've learned in the class or have thought about because of the class or things that weren't covered in the class or just some of your experiences uh, with prayer. So um, just to reiterate, because I've said this a lot, but I want to make sure that you know I say it again, that Traditions are just as human as any other thing that humans do. I haven't thought of another comparison. Um, they're just they're just what we do. We just make traditions and practices and things to help us sort of have uh, a way through life, a method of doing things, a method of gathering together in our families, at you know holidays and um, at work. You know, there's just all these things that are traditions, and they are not wrong. They are just a man-made thing. And man-made things can be both good, inert, or terrible. Um, we're, we're good at, at doing all of those things. But they're not made by God. Traditions aren't. God makes principles and eternal truths, and man makes traditions. And conversely, um, traditions are really easy to start. And we talked about um, we talked about God Bless America being played at baseball games on Sundays or at all Yankees games right after 9-11 because of that feeling of uh, patriotism and how that, you know, that's just going to go on for, we think, you know, 50 to 100 years uh, because they just get their own inertia. Anyone see reading in the news the latest update on God Bless America, by the way? Was it Kate Smith? Yeah, Kate Smith uh, was the, is this famous singer from around the very 30s and World War II era that, that really recorded God Bless America first and She's what they played at Yankees games up until a week or two ago and at Philadelphia Flyers hockey games. But it turns out that she sang some songs that in the 30s may had some racist or certainly insensitive overtones for us now and maybe even for them then. And so they've torn down the statue of Kate Smith outside the Flyers stadium 
and they've stopped playing the Kate Smith. So it shows you, and they're and they're not going to stop singing Kate's. They're not God Bless America. They just have to go find a new recording of it or a new way to do it. Um, but it kind of I was kind of talking to someone Nathan I think this morning is usually it takes something cataclysmic to change a tradition, you know, because we don't think about them. They just we just go through life and we do them. And so it's just kind of an interesting update. But they're really easy to start. Um, we can't, some of the traditions we've talked about, we don't even know how they started. It's impossible to know how they started. They're hard to end or change or challenge because it's just somewhere in, a, you know, in our gut, it feels like the right way to do things. We don't teach them to people. We don't teach them to children. We just sort of osmosis them into our practices and culture. And that makes them difficult to even realize that they're tradition. And I really think that most of what we do as a church or in the church is a tradition of some kind or another, wrapped around probably a scripture, probably around good intentions, but we have a lot of traditions. And, and again, they're not wrong or bad. So we, we talked about that you know, often the evolution of tradition is that it just starts off as a thing that seems like a good thing to do. And the longer we do it and the more people that do it, it can become you know, all the way down to law where it is the only way to do things. And those that don't do them are are judged if if people don't do. So we kind of forget that they're traditions. We start them. They go on for decades or centuries, and we don't think about them anymore. They just feel right. And when people say, I don't do it that way, it can be very easy to be sort of caught off guard by that or to feel um, threatened by it or to say, well, that's not right, and I can't, you know, I can't prove why, or maybe we go, you know, dissect or torture a scripture to death to prove our point or something like that. But um, so it's they're, they're not wrong. But but this I believe can can really happen. Um, you know, like if if you came to my house for Thanksgiving next November and I laid out sushi, you you might just have just these vague, repulsed, wrong, I don't know what's happening thoughts, or even a turkey breast, you know, if, I didn't, if it wasn't a carved turkey or whatever, if it did ham, and that's for Christmas, and so we just have all of these, these things that are kind of hard for us to identify. So one of the real things that, and a lot of these slides are going to be me reflecting back what I think I've learned in the class, and, or become maybe made more aware of, and, and that is that the idea of temptation can be present in prayer. Um, and I'll, we talked about that, and I'll show you the slides that covered that. But um, you know, even a, even a, a, a practice which God ordains as necessary, uh, temptation can enter into it. And th- this verse may be slightly out of context, but I think it does apply. So in Romans seven, you know, so I find this lot work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I think I think Paul is talking about just this tendency that. That temptation and sin is never far from us, in any situation. You know whether it's a, you know, I think we'd probably all agree that we can come to church and sin. You know we can uh, think hateful, divisive thoughts about people. Uh, we can lust. We can do all kinds of things. So it's it's not that what we're doing isn't good. It's that that sin or temptation is always present with us, which means in in my maybe overly connecting dots that even the topic of prayer can have some human temptations. And, you know, the scripture talks about that pretty clearly. And we'll, we'll look at these here. And, and you guys remember this slide I've put up. And these are summarizing 
these verses from Matthew 6 uh, about prayer. Uh, Do not be like the hypocrites. Um, They pray in a way that they can be seen and known and praised for how spiritual they were in this first one. Do not be like the pagans who think through their babbling and their many words that their prayers are more effective and and, and righteous and true. And, and then Matthew 6, 9 through 15, the Lord's Prayer. Um, you know, the temptation not to ask or give forgiveness in our prayer. So th- these um, th- these had these words along the side, which I don't have room for this, you know, what the temptation might be and what the symptom might be and what the outcome might be. And so I do think these verses kind of back up this idea that that temptation and you know is present in prayer. That we can have the temptation, especially when we're praying with others, to stop thinking about just a just a, a talking to God, just a sharing time with God, to I wonder what people think about me. Uh, I'll make my words, you know, bigger and more highfalutin. Um, highfalutin a word which died about forty years ago, I think. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, that these are temptations. You know, the temptation to think that, you know, the more and better my words, the more likely God is to answer me. The more likely I am to get my request. The more likely I'm going to kind of just submit God's will through just wearing Him out through, you know, lots and lots of words. Um, you know, the temptation to pray about everything under the sun but our need for forgiveness and our need to forgive others, which in Matthew 6, um, I'm going to focus on this in the next slide, I think. So this idea that temptation can be present even in prayer, I think is a takeaway for me. To not think that there's a part of our spiritual walk where we don't have to just be mindful that we might have human motives working at the same time as, as, as spiritual motives. And I talked about, this slide came up two or three times in the class, and it's my kind of repetitive thing about we, we need to not read the Bible and, and think that we can't be any of the people that are getting these warnings, that we're not anything like them. That, you know, we, and I always say that we have, when the Pharisees enter stage left, you know, we all kind of boo and hiss because they're the villain. And we sort of you know, separate ourselves from, from them. But, but we can end up doing the same kind of things um, that the Pharisees did. The, you know, the same thing as the pagans. The same thing. We, we can be all of these things in the Bible at one time in our life. We have the ability to be hypocrites or liars or um, doubters or hard-hearted or the ones that you know, would have cried out crucify. And we would have never said that. If Jesus were in Jerusalem and I'd been a Jew for a thousand years, I would have never said to crucify him. I probably would have. And so that, that's the concept is that let's not see these temptations in prayer as something that couldn't possibly apply to us because he was talking to different people than us. Well, he was talking to human beings who were spiritual one way or another, and I think some of those things can apply to us. Whether they do or not is for us to reflect on uh, in our own time and to be just aware of that. And then um, just, you know, one of my, one of my more startling um, learnings, which is a word that's come about in the last five years and bothers me, is that when What's, what's, your, what's the learning? It's just new to me. So highfalutin went away and learnings came in. Um, is this idea after the Lord's Prayer, he says, this is how you should pray. And he does the Lord's Prayer, we all know it. And then I, I mentioned this, that he says, there's one thing I really want to emphasize in the Lord's Prayer. I, you know, in the Maldives Prayer, this idea of forgiveness. And so really, 
I talked about this. That one of my takeaways is, is I need to be more mindful about uh, thinking about the things that I really need forgiveness for and not sort of glossing over it and saying, nope, I'm pretty good and everything's great. And also this idea of forgiving others. We kind of wrestled with that. How do you, how in the language of prayer do you forgive others? And, uh, you know, what are the contexts that you do that in? Um, but really, w- one of my takeaways is the language of forgiveness, I may be speaking for myself again, I don't know your prayer lives, needs to become more present in my prayer life. And I would say in our public prayers, I, I don't hear it all that much, being led towards the idea of forgiveness and forgiving others. And so that's one of my takeaways. And it, Even though I said discussions at the end, I didn't mean to put a ban on discussion now, so I might have done that accidentally. This is how things happen. And, you know, just, um, any, okay, so if you, and along the line, just raise your hand and we'll talk about it. Uh, you know, also this idea um, that Christ is encouraging us to be persistent in prayer, constant in prayer. Um, we, we kind of, you know, ask and seek and find and, um, the unrighteous judge and the, the the widow who was wanting justice and the 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 father who though human you know knows to give good things to his child and who these are the verses that these are referencing to the temptation is just not to ask just not to pour our um, our asks on God to just keep constantly you know throughout our day through the small things through the big things through everything that we have to just keep in dialogue with God, which can lead to this kind of where we're just not praying as much and which weakens our relationship. And we'll talk about that relationship idea in a little bit. Okay. You know, we we talked about this idea of not, you know, I've got this kind of pet topic that the, the, the parable of the unjust judge is not describing God. It's describing how we should pray to a loving God who is a just judge and a loving Father. And so we put up the Venn diagram because it it took me a while to work on this. I had to bring it back. Um, um, Not that long, actually. (laughs) Why? Yeah, two circles. Um, uh, It's a long story. but So the only only thing that, that God and the unjust judge have in common is that we're being encouraged to ask, both of them, to ask God, you know, to, to seek our, you know, what we need justice for, what we need help with, or temptation we have to overcome, or those kinds of things. We're being encouraged to ask. Again, this idea of just being in constant dialogue uh, with God, which this class, you know, my, my own classes made me really think about that, you know, like um, kind of moving away from the set times of day, which I think are great. I think praying before your meal is a great back, backstop on your prayer. We need touchstones like that, like, oh, uh, it's dinner, and... I just haven't prayed today, and I'm going to pray now. Nothing wrong with that. I think that's great to have markers like that, or whatever you do, quiet time in the morning. But just this idea of dialoguing and asking and talking and just walking with God throughout my day and just sort of changing my language from, you know, what we call the you know the the, the switch that turns on comms, you know, to God by starting a prayer, versus just being in. Con- walking with and conversing with God all day long. It, it's really, I, I've been struggling with it. I'm, I'm trying to be mindful of it, but I think that's kind of the power of tradition that I, I think it's these sort of formal, like, you know, 
dear God, I'm about to talk to you. Are you there? Over, you know, receiving, you know, Roger. Okay, here comes the request. And now I'm done talking to you. Amen. Over. And then, you know, the rest of my life. And just sort of changing that to more of a, a conversation and, and talk, talking. So I'm going to keep working on that. I'm going to keep working on all this. Um, so this class might have impacted the life of one person. And that would be me, but that's okay. Um, we talk about the, you know, this is just going along with the same thing. This, you know, at the end of 1 Thessalonians, there's just really dense. And I think that sometime this is going to be a class I'm teaching to dive into all these things. Just as, hey, before I finish this letter, here's some stuff. Boom, 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 boom. Here's some things I'd like you to do. Really, really dense. And, and just like, like fortune cookie accessible. You know, like I can read this on, you know, it's, it, these would all fit in, in a Twitter, in a tweet, I guess. Um, you know, and right in the middle of that is just to pray continually, which which we can't do, but it's an encouragement to just have just an, a life of prayer, and I think it'll it'll change us. We talked about, you know, in a more public prayer, just this this idea that there are, there are, we we kind of just brought up this awkward subject of what are we supposed to be doing if I'm leading or saying a prayer for others or sharing a prayer, you know what. What is my role? What am I responsible for? And if I'm listening to someone else say a prayer, what am I supposed to be doing? And we just brought that up and, you know, just to, to kind of work through it. And um, I certainly, you know, a, a opinion, um, my opinion was that I think the person saying a prayer on behalf of others needs to be mindful of, of those listeners, and respectful of them, um, and avoiding temptation, certainly, that we talked about, and th- and that we are supposed to, as much as we can, be, you know, trying to unify ourselves in those thoughts and sharing that prayer and amening, even if we're not saying it, you know, the things that are on, on on that person's heart or that they're they're saying to us, and then we're we're doing it together, and that. You know, we talked about kind of the length of prayer, which we'll talk about on this next slide. So, you know, just in this, just this idea of kind of almost roles and responsibilities, if we're one or the other, don't have all the answers. Is that, a, do you have a question? No. Just scratching your head. Okay. <laughs> um, and, the, you know, I'd like us to think about this. I'd like for those of us that are either, you know, praying in a life group or in worship to be mindful of that there is sort of a little bit of an obligation we have to each other. And it goes both ways. And I talk about that with... I've now trademarked the word experiment. Um, yeah, so by putting letters TM on this slide and coloring them gold. Yeah, it's legal. Yeah, in all 50 states. Uh, if you weren't here or don't know anything what I'm talking about, uh, I, I did an experiment where I read a pseudo-prayer uh, that was pretty long. It was about three and a half minutes long, which people, you know, doesn't sound that long. But And then we, we tested people to see how much they recalled about what was mentioned in that prayer. And I think, I, I think we've kind of come to this conclusion on the data. And I'll, I'll walk you through it really quickly and we'll move on. But um, these are the fictional people and what they had going on in their lives and the order they were in in the prayer. And, and, and the first person, you know, and we're going to talk about Darius in a minute because the, the outlier. But so, right from the get-go, people's attention and remembrance started dropping. Just the longer I prayed, the more people were—I was losing people. Fake prayed, but 
And then we think the data indicates that the only reason it goes up here is that people started to realize, uh-oh, I see what he's doing. I see what he's doing. I'm going to probably have to remember this stuff, right? We kind of consensus on that. There's like, oh, oh, the, I've got the game figured out, and I know how to play the game now, and we got this sort of modest spike. And then there's Darius, who's a soldier who's going to war, wherever to spike, and what's our consensus on Darius? So we come down to the, just the name was like a trip on the, on the mind that was like Darius. Um, what, a Roman centurion goes to our church? or you know, um, So that's an anomaly. And then right after Darius, just back. Just, you know, so, um, you know, so Nancy, Nancy, who's struggling with her faith, gets, you know, almost no uh, shared prayer, or remembrance anyway. Probably, maybe there was shared prayer at the time. So the point of this was to try to say, and I, I think it's true, but without more experimentation and validation and getting published in a journal, which I'm working on, um, that really length of prayer is a real thing. That, struggle, that we struggle with. If you get up and pray in front of others for 10 minutes, you've probably lost people. And we are probably not able to fulfill our roles and responsibilities. Um, now, maybe in another culture, it's 30 minutes. or I don't know. But in our culture, it's, it's pretty short. So I think we need to be mindful of, of that. And to help with that, you know, we talked a, a lot about presence. Just a really big takeaway for me for my classes, we talked about what if we lived life and prayed like God was always present, that he wasn't just kind of not present, and then when we turned on the radio channel, he was extra present, but just that he was present here now, he was present in our worship assembly, that he's close, he's nearby, he's listening, he's hearing, uh, he's engaged, he's not distracted. And I think especially in public prayer, I think that would change things. We talked about the, the say everything we're about to pray about and then repeat everything that we just said, which kind of probably in a David Overthought way might indicate that we didn't think God was hearing us, wasn't present for the first part, the announcement part, or, or didn't have validity until we wrapped it around a, an opening and closing statement that we would call prayer. And so just being aware that God is present, I think, will probably impact some of our traditions. And I'm not saying that 100% of people pray or have no idea that God is present. I'm saying our traditions, the way we do things, kind of show that as a symptom to me, that, that we have this kind of maybe accidental understanding of God's presence, not that we, you know, anyone's really thinking it. Um, and... You know, God is present everywhere, and He's especially present in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And when we're together, we kind of have this idea that there's this almost magnification of His presence when we're worshiping or doing spiritual things. So I, I think the idea of presence is something I'm really, really working on. Just like that God is, and for me, because of um, my you know, mortal lack of imagination, this past few weeks I've tried to imagine Him literally walking beside me. I walk in and out of work, and I've been trying to imagine Him walking right beside me and um, I'm still working through that and it's it feels odd because it's new uh, but I think it's really changing how I think about how I pray and the words that I use um, Sue gave me this book you, you've probably all heard of it before it's called practicing the Pre- practice of the presence of God by brother Lawrence who's from a long time ago what century 13 
13th century. But it's it's a it's a very old concept by this person and brother. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. And I was going to make that offer. She gave this to me to give away. So if you want to take this home with you today and then pass it around or whatever, see me uh, after class. But it's a, it's an interesting title, The Practice of the Presence of God. Like we're going to have to really rethink what we think about the presence of God and make it a thing that we've, we've worked on and developed. Probably to overcome what we've thought before a little bit. I like his quote. We must know, we must know someone. I'm going to uh, kind of add to it. We must know someone before we can love them. In order to know God, we must often think, we must often think of him. And when we, go, we come to love him, we shall then also think of him often, for our heart will be with our treasure. I really like that last part. Um, so before we can know someone, we have to spend time with them and commune with them. And once we commune with them, only then can we love them. And once we love them, we'll stay conversing with them because our heart and treasure will all be in the same place, which is you know, referring, obviously, to Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is there, where your heart be also which we've maybe been a little bit too literal on. You know, that's like riches versus heaven. But maybe it's, you know, this idea of our love of God is where our heart will be, which that will be our treasure. I really like that. So we talked about what we ask for, and that it's really easy when we're with people to talk about the obvious physical things, health or job or money or uh, moving or house. Uh, When we were young marrieds at another church, about every other week, a couple was praying for the closing of their house, that it go well. And really what we were doing was announcing that we're really excited because we're buying a house. And I just thought, I have never known a closing that didn't go through. You know, it was like praying for the sun to come up tomorrow, you know, almost. And, but, so, so we kind of pray for these things because it's kind of easy. But, but the spiritual stuff is hard. And um, I think we need to sort of start as we share our lives with each other. We need to ask for and pray for each other in spiritual context. And I really like this prayer from Ephesians 3. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh boy, that's uh, that's 100% spiritual blessing being asked for there. And I, I was kind of struck, but if you, if you never know what to pray for someone in kind of almost any situation, just you one-on-one with someone, I would almost say recommend that you could pray for them to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ in any situation. It just seems... Like a nice, um, anyway, what we pray for, I think we need to sort of step back and think about, especially maybe in those more private family situations or one-on-one or or things like that. Need to speed up. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I think we need to be mindful that if your prayer is even within the realm of godliness, if you're asking for things that are by no stretch evil, let's just say that, your words are not the most important thing. Your words are not going to get you something you didn't want. Your words are not going to turn God into this tricky genie that's going to give you what you asked for because, ha, 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 if you don't get it right, 
perfectly, I'm going to give you something you didn't want. Um, and so the, the assurance of that is that we know that God is a loving Father who even if we as children ask for quite, not quite the right thing, He's going to give us what we need and what is best for us. And secondly, that your words are not going to God alone. They are being translated by the Holy Spirit in words that you would not understand and would not know how to pray for. And I don't know what that means, but it's, a, it's assuring me that my prayer life does not need to be perfect. And my words don't have to be chosen carefully. And I can just utter what's on my heart, and it's okay because our Father loves us, and the Spirit is going to say, here's what they meant, and here's what they need, and they don't know how to say. Does that make sense? Yeah, just uh, it's, it's really a burden off of me to not have to get those words so perfectly. And then just briefly from last week, you know, you know, maybe things like saying leading a prayer versus saying a prayer have kind of gotten us into some theological corners, maybe. I don't know. It's possible. And then this idea of ecclesia. Where is the body gathered? Where is the body being the church? Where is the body um, joining together in worship or praise or encouragement or love of God? And if you were here last week, I'm not going to explain the slide to you, but you know what I'm saying is that we've, you know, the, the, the more complicated your flow chart is on anything about where and when and who can do it and what, and what circumstances on what day of the week and what room and what building and off or on and who's starting, who's starting, the more complicated your flow chart for decision making might be an indication that your tradition has sort of just evolved into legalism because that's, that's where the Jews found themselves was what's work on a Sunday? Well, let's see. Are you a tailor? Then carrying your pen and your hymn is at work and if you're not a tailor, then carrying your pen is not work. And, you know, we need to be just mindful that, that those might be indicators of, of, of our traditions maybe getting a little bit out of control. Finally, and we can just, just kind of evolve this into the sharing time. When you talk about what is prayer, and that was really a key theme. And we had some really good dialogue on that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that today. But we kind of pre-decided, we can talk more about it, is, is just this important relational dialogue with God. It's not intended to be Christmas list or save me from everything. It's intended to be a conversation, a, a daily walk with God in con- conversation. Um, and that he wants that for us, not because he's lonely or needs it, because he knows it's what's best for us. Everything he asks us to do is for our benefit. So that was eight weeks of class in 35 minutes. So what are your thoughts? <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have a prompt or a question, but of all that material or anything that you've been trying in this class or anything that you've already figured out that you'd like to share or anything you struggle with or observations or anything at all, anything from last week, um, now would be a great time. Sue? Uh, I reread what Jim McGuigan says about prayer in his commentary on Romans. And instead of saying, pray continually, pray without ceasing, he said, pray habitually. Hmm. Maybe that helps somebody. That's a, that's a good word. Pray habitually. Have it be a good habit that you do a lot. Yeah. I eat habitually. You know, that's not a problem. And so maybe I need to form some other good habits. Christy? I'm kind of walking over so the sound gets picked up a little bit better if I do that. 
trying to reimagine my relationship and my prayer life with God over the last few years. And I think if I try to think of it as I would a friendship here on earth, that really has helped me because sometimes I'm really busy and all I can do is text and check up. And sometimes a call happens. And sometimes we have coffee or we do something special together. And I think that um, when I when I think of God like that, it helps me. Sometimes I have my gratitude journal, and really that becomes my prayer. And sometimes it's very, like, you know, short and sweet and to the point, and it's a quick discussion. And sometimes it's a, I'm wrestling with this. And, sometimes, and so I think that, I don't know, for some reason that's helped me. Okay. Yeah, more like a friendship. Yeah, and that there's a lot of different ways you communicate with your friend and a lot of different channels and a lot of different things you talk about and thinking of more as a companionship or friendship. Yeah, thank you. What else? Yes? Like, I think uh, for kids, the explanation like that God is always there listening instead of just when you pray. Like, I'll totally admit, when I was younger, I totally had the, all right, here we go, communication time. Like, it, it just never, the kind of Holy Spirit aspect of it never really clicked. Right. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a different way of thinking about it to, to try and explain that to a kid. Yeah. That's a great point. I think I think parents, you know, especially with young children or maybe children of any age, can just be mindful of just letting their kids hear them just talk to God a lot. You know, driving, uh, walking, sunrise, sunset, hiking, playing, you know, th- things like that, so that we can sort of start to bend that accidental tradition of, you know, prayers, these kind of set moments in the day where it's these kinds of words as opposed to a, a, a conversation with a, a, a good friend and a loving father. That's good. Yeah, Brad? Um, I've been kind of stuck on, um, uh, well, not stuck, but thinking, and I don't know if this was a previous class that I wasn't here for, but the physical versus spiritual kind of prayer requests. Um, you know, I mean, I... I I, I deal with that too. I know Daniel, you know, probably has, has tons of physical uh, requests and youth group and stuff. That, but like trying to navigate that, you know, somebody's dog died or, or whatever sort of situation, which, you know, is not trivial and meaningless. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Just kind of I, I want to have the mentality that knows instinctually what the spiritual undertone is behind maybe some of the physical requests that get actually spoken. Right. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think the way I think of that when I'm mindful enough to think about it is in in a physical struggle that someone is having, and, and by that I mean material maybe, what is the spiritual blessing that they need? You know, in the struggle to find a job in the worry about a relationship, in the concern about health. Uh, I've talked about this with some people who are having health struggles is, you know, you know, it's okay to pray for healing, 
But I don't think it's okay to pray just for healing. Does that make sense? In other words, so, so to find that, and when someone's dog dies, you know, what's, what's the spiritual thing? What, what would God want to bless those people with? What do they need in their mind, in their heart, in their spirit? You know, and it's, it's like you said, it's, it's hard. Maybe it's to know how wide and deep and love, or, and is the love of Christ, you know, as a starter. But yeah, it's, it's a wrestling match to figure that out. Richard and then Joel. I wanted to say something about the, I guess you'd call it the mechanics of prayer. What, privately, I think we pause even in prayer. It's, it's not rapid, and in public prayer, I don't know if it's nervousness or what, but sometimes it gets rattled off so fast that those that are listening can't keep up with it. Mm. And uh, so I just I just think that since visually when we're singing, we see the words, it helps us with worship. We don't see the words during prayer. And whoever's directing our minds in prayer, slow down and even have quiet time. Right. Yeah, that's. I really appreciate that, Richard. That um, it goes back to that roles and responsibilities. You know, don't lose people through speed, maybe, or, or by by rapidly. Don't, don't rush through it. And and maybe I like you know, maybe leave pauses where people can just add their own mindfulness to whatever that was we just prayed about. Yeah, and those are all great great thoughts. And again, just on the way, this is just a class on how the way we do biblical spiritual things, and we, certainly lots to think about there, Joel. I was kind of, <clears throat> kind of piggybacking off of Brad's idea, and I guess my comment from several weeks ago. But there's one, there's one thing I, I don't like to remind myself of, but I kind of make myself face it. In the Bible, some examples in there, and I'll get to that in a second. But <clears throat> sometimes I think we unintentionally think that a big a big part of the meaning of life is living a long life. And I think it shows up in our prayers. And mm-hmm. I don't think we should ask for... Every, like, I don't think we should be limited to just spiritual, like I, I mentioned a few weeks ago. But one of the things I constantly think back to um, is Stephen and Paul and Peter and the deaths, the deaths that they died... And, you know, I think about that when, you know, when verses are shared, like everything's going to work together for good. I think we accidentally or unintentionally apply that to the physical to imply that we're going to have our next meal. Mm. I mean, if, if those heroes in the faith weren't guaranteed their next day, we're not guaranteed our next meal. Right. And it's not comfortable to talk about, but I think it's healthy to look at to remind ourselves that living till 95 is not not the goal in living out our faith. Right. And so I, I, I try to have that in mind when when I'm kind of watching for what yeah what I pray for and what I care because what you pray for can be a strong reflection of what your heart truly cares about. Right. I don't want to care about that stuff near as much as the physical, or the spiritual. You know? Yeah. Thank you for that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, have 
Have any believers in Christ ever starved to death? They certainly have. And, and you know, so, you know, my point, you know, about the, about the food that you said is, you know, that, but there's a higher order of what God wants from us when we are dying or suffering or struggling that overrides the physical. And, and we're not guaranteed. And, you know, and the, you know the, the expression of a life well lived in faith is not necessarily a long one. Um, and that's hard to get our minds around. Kathy? I'm totally along those same lines. I'm going to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying, Joel, but I've thought about that a lot in, in recent years. And, and one of the things that, that I came across during this time was was something Jesus said, and it really hit me, just broadside, really impacted me. But, it, you know, it's his final, like, days. And people are starting to tell him they're they're going to kill you. They're coming. They're they're coming for you. And Jesus says that the hour has come. And he says, "Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You know, it's this. You know, should I ask God to take me out of this situation? No. This is this is what I've been brought here. This is my purpose." Mm. And so instead, even though I am deeply distressed, instead of asking God to take me from it, which he actually does later in the middle of the distress, but he says, no, what I want to pray is for God to be glorified as I'm going through this. Mm. And that's a really difficult thing to pray. Right. You know, rather than, please get me out of this, you know, to pray, help me to kind of see what you're trying to do. Right. And help me to glorify you. Help, help, rather, you be glorified in in me while I go through this. Yeah, it's a very mature prayer and hard, hard, hard to pray. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, appreciate all those thoughts. Really, really good thoughts. I think we're we're getting low on time or past time. Um, there was one slide that I think accidentally got cut from my editing this morning, and that was the. You know, I showed the. The, the candy box, the now and later candy in one of my slides. And one of the things I think we need to be mindful for is when we are with someone and they're expressing a need or rejoicing or anything, I think we should pray right then. When we can, I think we should pray right then. And, and later. But we make this commitment to pray later and not now when we're standing right by someone. And so I'd like to see, I've seen it more, I'd like to see our auditorium just start to be filled with people after worship that are praying with each other. Um, and I, I'm seeing that. That's, that's great. So I think, you know, uh, we have permission to begin new traditions. We do. And they should be, you know, and then 100 years from now, there'll be the old traditions and there'll be a class like this. Probably, probably about 100 years from now, uh, talking about them. And so the decennial conference to evaluate our traditions regarding prayer will now come to a close. Remember, I had that slide and, you know, that, that there's no conference to talk about our traditions and, like, decide about them, but... This was our nine-week conference, and it's now come to a close, and the gavel has been banged. And um, my final thought is that one of the, my other takeaways is this idea we talked about, about praying a prayer of thankfulness for the faith of others. That has really left a mark on me. And so I'm just thanking God right now for all of you that have come to this class or that I've worshipped with here for 30-plus years or those that are new, and the fact that you are walking with God and I know that when I'm struggling to walk with God, you will help me. 
And when you are struggling to walk with God, I hope I can be there to help you. And so this idea of thanking God for others and their faith is another thing that I think that I'm going to be more mindful of and I think we could all be and I think it will unify us and strengthen us. So thank you for your time and attention. Appreciate it.